Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I'm excited about this, our 60th episode, with another great guest. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that is close to us both, and that is how to prepare your business for various types of disasters. With so much uncertainty from so many directions for business today, this is an extremely timely topic. So thank you so much to our listeners for being here. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite network or networks, and of course, our YouTube channel at safetytalkvideos.com. You do not want to miss an episode. From last week's episode on brain safety to today's episode on disaster recovery for businesses. If it's related to safety, we get the latest experts on their respective topics and bring them to you, our valued listeners and viewers. We appreciate you helping us spread the word in your social circles. So I'm your host and safety sensei, Pete Canavan. And my guest on this episode of Safety Talk is the founder and CEO of Hytropy Disaster Management. It is the largest full-service disaster management company in the U.S., and the owner holds multiple national and internationally recognized certifications. He has extensive experience working in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors in disaster management recovery from small businesses all the way up to Fortune 500 companies, including Google, Merck, and others. So it's my pleasure to welcome Patrick Hardy of Hytropy Disaster Management to Safety Talk. Welcome. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate it. And, uh, and congratulations on your uh, 60th episode. Thanks, man. It's... Uh, it's hard to believe. I remember number six. It's gone quick. And, uh, you know, the great guests make the episodes fly by. We have uh, some great content, great uh, things. If you haven't seen other episodes, I encourage you to check them out or other listeners, check them out because we got a lot of ground to cover today. So much to cover. Uh, I know you guys out there are going to be intrigued by this episode. So, you know, the world is turning more dangerous and disaster prone every single day. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, environmental threats or biological threats uh, or international cyber attacks, it pays to be prepared and you'll pay dearly if you are not. So let's start, Patrick, by letting our audience know a little bit more about your background and how you got interested in safety and ultimately sort of what led you to this point. Well, it's a very strange story. I actually was when I joined the swim team in high school. That's really where it all started, strangely oh, enough. Oh, way back. <laughs> I, yeah, well, way back. Yeah, I, I was in high school. I was a swimmer. A bunch of the kids said, because I, I was on a competitive uh, swim team, and they said, well, we're all going to go out to be lifeguards. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go do that. So I tried out to be a lifeguard. I made it. And I was a lifeguard. And then a bunch of the lifeguards said, you know, we're going to go be EMTs. So I went and I became an EMT. And a bunch of the EMTs one day said, yeah, where do you think we're going to become medics? So <laughs> that's what I did. Wow. And then I, at the same time, I was getting a college degree. And I decided right at that time, uh, there was Hurricane Katrina. And that's when I decided that I wanted to do something that was going to make a difference because I studied political science. And one of the things I realized was that all my college friends who were in political science with me were, they were finding some kind of a cause that was important to them, either eradication of nuclear weapons, or they were worried about genocide, or they were worried about global famine. And I just didn't have one of those. Right. And then right after Hurricane Katrina happened, I said, that's it. That's what I want to do, because I know there's a better way of doing this. So I wrote a letter 
to the governor of Louisiana. And I said, you know, I'm a 4.0 student. I'm graduating valedictorian. I, I've done this. I was an EMS professional and I would like to do emergency management. And weirdly enough, I got a phone call and they said, we've never heard of anyone sending a letter like yours before, wow. <laughs> but we would love to have you come on the team. Here's the deal. We'll give you a place to live. We'll give you a car you can drive. We'll give you all, all the, you know, you'll get room, board, food, everything. And, but you work for us 80 hours a week huh. and we'll give you 1500 bucks a month. How's that sound? And I said, absolutely. And during Not that time when I worked out, in Louisiana, right? huh, say again, Not a bad gig to start out with. It wasn't, it was a wonderful experience. I, I lived in Louisiana. I got to experience it in the years after hurricane Katrina. I got to see because it was clearly a seismic change a sort of a paradigm shift in the way that emergency management was going to occur and the way that people were going to do policies and procedures and practices. And I said, this is something that I need to be there for. So I was there and I, I met some wonderful colleagues and I have a great affinity towards Louisiana. Wow. It's almost like that was your internship, man. Like, you know, that was like the first thing that got you going and what better place to get your feet wet, unfortunately, and figuratively and, and, and not even figuratively for real, right? <laughs> Feet wet True. Um, is in Hurricane Katrina. I, that's, that's unbelievable. Cause I mean, we all know what a huge disaster that was and to be somebody that was there in the beginning when that happened and to learn from that. I mean, like, as you just said, Patrick, so many people learned from that. There was a shift in how disaster recovery happened because there was such a, a bad response from the government initially. And I think it made a lot of people sit up and take notice and say, Hey man, they're, they're, we got to fix this. We got to make this better. So kudos to you. So uh, the um, so of course I have to ask what hytropy means because I looked it up and I couldn't find a definition. It kept giving me <laughs> other words. Uh, and uh, so uh, you and I briefly spoke and uh, tell our audience. So what is what is hytropy? Hytropy is a Greek word that I invented. Um, <laughs> high means to grow. Tropy means to change. So it means to grow through change. And that's the reason why. Um, when I talk to my clients and our corporate ethos is when we talk to people about disaster management, I'm sure you and I will talk a little bit about this later on tonight, is that when you have a disaster, it's an opportunity for you to grow and become a stronger and better human being. And these are just challenges and obstacles which can be overcome, but you have to view them differently. And if you change that mindset of empowerment, you're going to be so much better at the end. And that's something I tell all my clients, my small businesses, whether they're restaurants, bars, nursing homes, beekeeping operations, alligator farms, any kind of small business I work with, I tell them a disaster is an opportunity for you to truly grow through change. That's interesting you mentioned that with the mindset, because one of my signature keynote programs is called the warrior mindset. And it's all about how to overcome any obstacle that's in your way, go over it, around it, through it, under it, whatever you got to do. And that obstacle can be anywhere in your life. It could be professional. It could be a personal challenge. It could be a relationship challenge. It could be a disaster challenge. It could be any sort of challenge. But even in the martial arts, and you and I talked briefly, you know, you used to take martial arts. I'm a martial arts instructor now. Mindset is a huge part of it. And if you don't, I could show you the coolest move in the world and you can't bring yourself to use it because you can't get yourself in the right mindset. What good is it? So it all starts up here. I mean, 80% of, of survival, you know, let alone whether it's a disaster or any other sort of situation you're, you're presented with, if you don't have the will or the desire to survive, you won't. 
And it's a huge part of, our, of, of that psyche. So that's awesome that you're also pointing that out to people because it is an opportunity to grow and become better and more prepared and more confident, quite frankly, because when we're prepared, the fear goes away, or at least it's reduced to a certain extent because we know what we're going to do when that challenge comes and it's going to come, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, our culture tends to reinforce the message that we all need a hero, that we need somebody like The Rock or some 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 person on TV who's going to come and save us and rescue us from some disaster or other. And I teach people, you can be the hero of your own story. You can do that. There is a way to do it. These are this is not a mystery. <laughs> there are ways of doing it, but you have to fundamentally shift the way that you are thinking about responding to an emergency. And for some that can be very difficult. Because they've done things a certain way or they're so used to having a disaster uh, become a certain result that when you try to change that, it becomes very difficult. And even in martial arts, when I was a martial artist, I was very young. I was a white belt. I was a yellow belt. I was an orange belt. Those are the critical belts. That's the thing I tell people when I got my black belt, they would say say to me, what were the most important belts? Looking back and I say white, yellow and orange. Sure, you're building that foundation. Exactly. It's the foundation, foundation of how do you get into a stance? How do you do a proper kind of punch? How do you do a proper kind of kick? How do you do uh, proper technique and movement? Because if you don't master those things, then when you get into the higher levels and you become, you know, a brown belt or a black black belt, then your fundamentals aren't as strong. And therefore the more advanced techniques are less effective for you. And in fact, in many ways, they could actually be counterproductive for you when you need them the most. Surely, if you if you lose your balance because you haven't properly trained, you know, in that regard. So yeah, lots of things. So good analogy. I use all the time the martial arts and and uh, emergency and disaster preparedness because it's about survival essentially. Just you're looking at it from you know in through two different lenses, but essentially they they're both focused on the same thing. Even though you're looking at it from two different perspectives and and in many different perspectives when you look at all the different types of of challenges and disasters that people can face. So. Um, so that's kind of a perfect uh, uh, introduction to, to one of the questions I want to ask you, which is, what are the kinds of disasters that you prepare people for and that Hydro prepares people for? Well, one of the things I tell people is I say, if it's a disaster to you, it's a disaster to us. And one of the I things like that, that strangely enough happens, and I'm going to give a little bit of a funny example, which was one night. Um, I, I have a 24-7 emergency operations center, which is like a customer service center when people are having an emergency. And uh, we had a business call at about 2.30 in the morning. And one of my customer reps picked up and said, so what's the disaster? And they said, the internet went out at the campground. And everyone's <laughs> calling. What are we supposed to do? The disaster plan doesn't cover what we're supposed <laughs> to do if the internet goes out. And we were trying to figure out how to get their internet back on because they thought it was that important because they were saying, People are trying to stream the final episode of Game of Thrones. And I and I turned to people, I said, I didn't realize it was that important to people. And they said, oh, you have no idea, Patrick. You got to watch more TTV. Um, but one of the but it, but traditionally disaster preparedness generally categorizes disasters as follows. Natural disasters, which are things we all know about earthquakes, volcanoes, fires, tor- you know, tornadoes, hurricanes, you know, violent thunderstorms, that kind of thing. And then there's technological disasters like uh, transportation accidents, hazardous materials, spills. Mm-hmm. Um, you have utility outages and te- technological disasters can accompany natural ones. Obviously, after a hurricane, I've been through many of them. Obviously, you have 
issues regarding the civil infrastructure with utilities that, that, that go out. These are obviously a huge deal. And then the last type, and you and I were discussing this a little bit before we began, is about security emergencies. And security emergencies really go into two groups. You have the physical emergencies. So you have acts of terrorism, whether it's a deployment of a weapon of mass destruction or it's, it's a conventional explosive, or you have a mass shooting, or you have something where it's more of a cyber attack, which is the second group. So you have somewhere where there's a belligerent individual who's either trying to steal things, um, steal data, or they're trying to deny your service, or it's a ransomware attack. These are all malicious types of activities which can create serious security emergencies. Sure, and uh, and they can come from anywhere. I mean, they can come from within. You could have an employee who becomes compromised, maybe blackmailed, maybe they got caught having an affair, or they have medical bills that they can't pay for. And so people can be vulnerable. And, and the first, one of those first layers that you have to look at too is internally, you know, and where there are risks and how do you mitigate those risks because they're everywhere. And, you know, we tend to focus on, and, you know, every, I think every business is kind of guilty of that. You know, they focus on the kind of the big events, you know, the flood, the fire, the hurricane, um, the cyber attack. These are huge, but they're also ones that may be not as maybe sensational or dramatic or huge, but by the same token, can still have the same or even worse detrimental effect on your company. You know, an employee that downloads your customer list and gives it to your competitor, they've done you irreversible damage that you can never undo. So there's certain that's things right. that, uh, you know, we all have to look at. So that's good because, like you said, there, there's a lots of kinds of disasters. And depending on where it's coming from, it, you know, dictates the, the response. And I did see that on your on your site. You have the, the, the call center that's staffed uh, you know, uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. That's a beautiful thing because sometimes people just need that. Like you said, you know, it's a case, you know, we'll kind of joke a little bit about a campground whose internet goes out, but guess what? It was a big deal to them. You had to go through certain steps. Hey, you know, reboot the router, reboot the modem, <laughs> you know, do the traditional sort of, you know, try to help them out as best you can because obviously you're, you know, you're not there. Um, but there are certain things you can do and try and, and uh, you know, and persistence is a the key there. So one know, of the things all- that I, I train... Yeah. And well, one of the things I train my customer service people on is I say, you know, don't give them answers, just tell them to ask the right questions. So if you ask them the right questions, they will come to the solution because you don't know the campground. We know their disaster plan because we wrote it, (laughs) we have access to it. But ultimately, any disaster really requires them to just get the right kind of guidance. And that's really the way that we perceive it. And that's been my philosophy towards emergency preparedness is that people need guidance. They don't need to have someone do it for, for them. We just have to have the expert to try to help them to get to the right answer. When we do that, then we tend to be a partner versus just being an external consultant, which is what we don't, we, which is what we don't do. And what I tell every client and, 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 my, and, my, and my customer reps do the same thing, which is when we work with people, we say, we're not the people who you're just paying to help you. We're here as your partners, if it's the middle of the night, give us a call. We will help you. That's why we're here. And that's, and I will tell you that all started from Hurricane Katrina because I noticed something very interesting in the wake of the storm, which was they were concerned about the government, which was a big deal. Fortune 500 companies have access to public equity markets. They have access to financing. What about small business? They didn't have anything. They didn't have anyone to help them. People were throwing money at them. But as you well know, and you understand this better than most, throwing money at a problem in a disaster is not enough. You have to have the processes, you have to have the practices, you have to have the procedures in place. And so that's what I sought to fill is, is some, something that where the, the common 
um, the common entrepreneurial unit in the country is a small business on the street corner or in someone's home. And so that's really what I wanted to focus on. As I said, this is a gap I want to fill. I want people to know that there are those out there who have the expertise who can get them through any kind of disaster. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people think that disaster is not going to happen to them. And every single one of them after it happens is the same thing, right? Which is <laughs> I never thought it was going to happen to me. But that's why we plan. Hey, that's why we have insurance, right? We pay insurance. We hope we don't have to use it. Same thing with a disaster recovery plan. You have it. So you hopefully you're never going to have to use it. And that's a, that's a, it gives you that, like we talked about a few minutes ago, is it gives you that sense of comfort to a certain extent because you know you've got a plan. Now, that being said, we know, and most people know that plans are great, but they don't always have every answer to every problem that's being presented to us. Or it could be a completely new problem that doesn't exist on the plan. So what do you have to do? You got to adjust with it. You've got to get in the right mindset and hey, say, we're going to figure this out. And when the disaster is, is, is been averted or you've recovered from it, hopefully, then you go back and you look and you say, hey, what? why didn't we have this in the plan? What can we do to fix it? Now we got to add a whole nother maybe section for this thing that we just experienced, whatever happens to be. And it's, it's a cycle. Uh, and uh, one of the things I talk about in, in my cybersecurity course for businesses is the OODA loop cycle, O-O-D-A. And it's, it's uh, observe, orient, uh, um, decide, and act. And it's a military acronym. And basically, it's, it allows you to look at everything from that, in talking about lenses, through that lens, right? We got to observe everything around us. And hopefully, we, we are able to see every possible threat, every possible problem. And then we orient our resources to those that are most pressing or realistic, right? We can't worry about an asteroid hitting the earth because we're all toast. So don't worry about it. Don't put it in your plan. Or if you want to put a footnote somewhere about it, say we're screwed, <laughs> you know, because that's about <laughs> all you can do at that point, you know? Um, and then of course you got to, um, you decide on, on what that course of action is. And then of course you, you go and act on it. And then the cycle repeats itself, hence the loop. So it's uh, so again, so that's that's really why disaster plans don't work out well, right? Sometimes, sometimes, um, I think that's one of the the one of the issues. I, I think one of the biggest issues I see with, with businesses with disaster plans is that they don't empower people. They don't really empower anyone. Most of the time, the business disaster plans I see will say things like, "The manager is going to be in charge," or "The owner <laughs> is in charge," and then what inevitably happens? The owner is in Barbados when right. we have a disaster or the owner is on jury duty. This literally has happened. We actually had an owner who was on jury duty and one of the employees called us and said, we remember you from the training, but we don't know what we're supposed to do with the disaster plan because implement the, it. <laughs> right. We've never implemented it. And I said, <laughs> when they didn't realize I was CEO, I mean, they just saw me as the guy trained, like I, that's, I trained about right. 200 people. And I was doing this sort of interactive training was really fun. And I tried to do it in kind of a game style, kind of really fun. So it would be like, you know, it would be um, kinesthetic. People would sure. touch and feel. But then what happened was I told the manager, I said, when you get back to your businesses, you got to turn to people and say, look, this is how the disaster plan is going to work. And I support it. But the problem is, is that when owners say things like, well, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll always handle it. Then that really unempowers employees. It makes them feel as though they can't act unless you are physically there. And it becomes a very serious problem for employees, especially ones who are more junior or people who may have um, their English may not be great, or they may not feel operationally comfortable. 
and yet they're expected to do things in a disaster. And and even I've seen this, even with experienced management teams in Fortune 500 businesses where I've run drills and I would isolate a management team and I would say, okay, guys, you're going to do the disaster. And they'd say, okay, I'm going to go call so-and-so. I go, phones are out. <laughs> well, I'm going to use my cell phone. Cell phone towers are out. Yeah. Well, that's not realistic. Oh, sure it could be. Absolutely it's realistic. Could. <laughs> oh, sure it is. It, oh, yeah. Hurricane Harvey. I think that woke up a lot of people because I don't think Hurricane Maria's her hurricanes Maria and Harvey um, obviously occurred in 2017. And those storms knocked out significant amounts of infrastructure, especially telecommunications. And everyone knows and everyone recalls what happens what happened in Puerto Rico, which basically went mm -hmm. black. Right. They were just power outages. There was no cell cell phone usage. They were just like back in the Stone Age. So um, that is when personal employee empowerment becomes so important because if they don't have the tools and they don't know or they don't feel like they're supposed to use them, I tell people, you paid us for nothing. Yep. They got to follow the plan. And, and it, it's totally unacceptable for somebody to say, I'll handle it. No, 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 no. What are you going to handle? Write it down. Right. If you're going to handle that, great right. while you're here, but it's up here in your head, get it down on paper. Let's proceduralize it. Let's systematize it. Let's make it so that you can take somebody off the street and plug them in and they follow the steps and they do it. Because and you have to demarcate too, right? Well, I absolutely agree with you, Pete. Absolutely. Because you should demarcate things as a management. You say, listen, management can only do these things. There's a limited bandwidth of things that we know management's going to handle. But in an actual disaster response, when you're dealing with sheltering in place, locking down, evacuations, whatever, you need to tell employees, you don't need to wait for the managers. Just go do it. Don't right. wait. These are safety issues. These are immediate issues. And, and yes. I tell managers all the time, you don't want them to wait for you anyway. Why would you want them to wait for you? Then you're going to increase the chances of injury. And you know this very well. You increase chances of injury. You increase chances of people doing chaotic things. And as soon as it gets chaotic, people revert to instinct. When people revert to instinct, that's when people do unsafe things and unwise things in my experience. Oh yeah. Speed is, is essential. You got to act quickly, not rashly, but quickly. Right. All right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so we, we see disasters happening. Unfortunately, you've seen a lot of disasters and there are always lessons that can be learned from them. I think it's on, you know, I, I try not to make these two based on current events because they're kind of timeless. Right. Uh, and a lot of these things are the same, but, you know, we see the current threats that exist today. <laughs> when somebody's listening to this, it'll be whatever threats you exist at your point. Uh, but there are certain, there's certain supplies, there's certain equipment that people really need in a disaster. And as you were talking, you know, talking about the radios, towers and cell phone towers out. Um, that's one of the reasons why it's key to have a battery operated radio and to have uh, maybe walkie talkies or a short band radio or a ham radio or know somebody that does so that in the event that the typical infrastructure is down, you are not completely without any information, right? Absolutely. And equipment is important. And sometimes people ask me, well, what should I buy? And I always say, it depends yes. <laughs> on your lifestyle. <laughs> but the one thing I will tell people is that whatever you buy, whatever you purchase, I have one rule for it use it before the disaster. So if if you buy one of those um, red backpacks, you buy them at one of the big box stores, you buy them on Amazon or something, something. if you buy them, that's fine. And then they have, you know what I'm Don't talking throw about? Them on you a know shelf. those little pellets they have? Yeah, they have those little hockey pucks 
that are basically food. And people have been in the military mm-hmm. and people who have been in first response, they know what these things are. But most people have no idea and they come. And, and so I tell people, you have to eat that stuff. You should try it. Yeah. What do you mean now? <laughs> yeah. Like for lunch today. Yeah. Because you in may, a disaster, that may happen someday. It may happen someday. And and you're expecting that's that. And that is your emergency food supply. You should try it now. As a matter of fact, last week I was actually at an, I was at a, a very elite um, club. It was filled with people who were all high net worth. And I took a hockey puck piece of food. I put on this really beautiful white plate. I asked the main A or D for a white plate. He gave me a white plate and they couldn't believe it. I asked him for a knife. He actually gave me one weirdly. He gave me this really nice type thing and I cut it into pieces. And there were going to be 50 people in the room, CEOs and, you know, all that. And I handed it to him. I said, okay, guys, pass this around. Every single person is going to eat this. And, uh, and you know what I heard from people? I have gluten issues. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> I, have, I can't eat anything that's not keto or whatever. And, I, oh, and I'm fine yeah. with that. Well, I'm, then you're going to die. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I tell people, if those are your diets, that's perfectly fine. But then don't buy the food that's not meant for people who have to have paleo food because the paleo the paleo diet doesn't include the hockey puck it doesn't include that that's so right. you have to think about what you're comfortable with and and that and if you adapt it that's right for you then it's the most effective as a matter of fact in actually real serious scenario i actually had a woman i was working with uh she said that she and her husband were going to spend a year on the road in an rv and i do a lot of rv parks i was doing one of the big contracts and, um, and she walked up to us and she was one of the co-owners of one of the properties. She said, we're just going to drive around for a year. And I said, great. She said, well, you look at our mercy equipment. I said, sure. So, so she pulls it out and lo and behold, it was one of those MRE types. And I asked her to eat it. She goes, I can't, I have celiac disease. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, as you know, celiac disease I know is, it is really, yes. it's a gluten-free allergy. If you get, if you, if someone with celiacs actually consumes something with gluten in it, that is actually a life-threatening emergency. Diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Bad right. issues. My father it's like having has celiac dysentery. disease. My sister has celiac disease. My brother-in-law has celiac oh. disease. Real bad. Oh, so you know, know, so you know far it. more about that than I do. But, uh, but I, I told her, I said, let's get you food that's going to work for your diet. <laughs> so and make sure it's going to last for a bit. Exactly. Exactly. And there and there's food now, now that does it. That the technology is now good enough. Where, like, for example, the 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 emergency food I have at home will last twenty five years, Ditto. and they have uh, different. Ditto, me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, isn't it amazing? Do you, they and I have like I, I'm not even making this up. I have like beef stroganoff. I have like mac and cheese. They yeah. have like all these different good stuff. Steak and potatoes. Like, can you think how in the world do they do that and just go? You know, they've they have just developed this technology over time. It doesn't oh, mean yeah. you have to egg scrambles, hash browns. I've even got desserts and juice, dry powders oh. and stuff because people and you yeah. can eat things like yeah, exactly. Like I didn't realize you could have brownies. blueberry pie. Yep. <laughs> you need that because it's a morale booster in a in a in a bad situation. You know, yeah. Is it yeah. at the highest well, nutritional level? Well, no. and what I say to people but also other value. Exactly. Ex- <laughs> you are thinking on the exact same line, Pete, which is you have to have something to keep your morale up. And if eating good food is a way to do that, is a way of maintaining a sense of normalcy and making you feel as though you can be confident going full forward. So the, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I've made my family uh, freeze-dried spaghetti and meatballs and they didn't know. Oh. They were like, you made dinner tonight? I said, yeah, and I didn't say anything. And they all ate it and hey, that was pretty good. You know, dad, you should cook more often. And I started laughing. <laughs> and they're like, what are you laughing about? I'm like, I go to the cabinet and I pulled out 
the freeze dried uh, meatballs and, and pasta. And they were like, wow, really? that wasn't that bad. And I'm like, that's the point. You guys make fun of me because I buy some of this stuff because I want to make sure that God forbid we need it. I wanted to make sure that you are comfortable with what I have because it's pretty good. Some of the stuff that they make is, is really good, Absolutely. you know, because think about <laughs> how much stuff do you eat right now that's freeze dried. A lot of people buy those. Uh, my wife does instant mashed potatoes. Uh, that's uh, mm. dehydrated food. And you're making your mashed potatoes. You whip it up in five minutes. Guess what? Same concept. Exactly. Yep. But Absolutely. you got to be used to it, like you said. Yeah, it's a great idea. Dietary restrictions. It's something that you got to address before. I, one of my things I say all the time is the time to prepare is before the need arises. I say that sure. all the time because once you have the need, it's too late. That's right. And it's hard, hard to get things too. Oh, is man. that I don't, I, if, if you've ever been through a hurricane or you've ever been through one of these predetermined disasters, these uh, sort of what we call forecasted disasters, which occur, you know, very, you know, I lived in the Southeast for many years. Mm-hmm. If you go, uh, you know, just before a hurricane is going to land, when it's about uh, 72 hours out, that's when people rush the grocery stores. That's when the shelves look empty. That's when it starts to look like a third world country in various grocery stores because people buy everything you can't you can't purchase anything and they just say we're gonna milk bread, eggs, bread eggs milk bread eggs you know and, eggs. and i <laughs> right yeah, I, milk bread yeah, eggs yeah, yeah, no you go to stores like really there's no milk <laughs> you know? actually this is really interesting when i was uh, when when COVID happened i was in harrisburg pennsylvania i was on speaking tour oh you're and down the road when, from me when man. COVID- i'm two hours north of there Oh, you are. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. I was in, I was in Harrisburg and I was on, um, I was on some local television shows and things. And I, so I stuck around Harrisburg for about three weeks. And one of the things that happened was I decided I got to go there because I was at an Airbnb. Okay. And so I said, okay, so I got to go to a grocery store. So I go to a grocery store. I'm not making this up. The produce section was, there was tons of produce, fruit, vegetables, all kinds of things. But then I went to the spaghetti aisle and every <laughs> single box of pasta, every single jar of tomato sauce was gone. It wow. was empty. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like that before. And it was just people that just clearly hadn't prepared to stick around long enough. So like, I mean, one of the things I do at home is I keep enough food realistically for at least 30 days. I mean, that's not hard to do. A lot, a lot of people think, well, I don't have the storage room for it. I don't think a lot of people realize how much food they truly have in their house already, that mm-hmm. they actually can last quite a while without of it. But but I say, use the emergency food when you really, really need it. Or if you have to go somewhere or the power's out and there's absolutely no way to make the food, then that's when that becomes tremendously useful. And if you rotate your stock with stuff you eat all the time, like pastas and sauces and peanut butter and jelly and tuna fish and soups and canned goods, you just, you rotate them. You know, you you put the newest ones in the back, you eat the ones in the front. And if you do that and you build up your stockpile long enough, you can end up with, you know, six months of food. So, and it's, it's, you know, it takes time. It takes money, obviously. Unfortunately, right now, grocery prices are getting out of control. And so, you know, and gas, and we've got, uh, you know, some issues with, um, supply chain uh, it, problems, which makes, you know, exacerbates all of this stuff. So, so in a disaster response, obviously, you know, we talk about stress, we talk about, you know, people's responses, how some people just, they, they freeze up, they don't know what to do. They, they call somebody because they don't know, you know, it's like, I don't know, call so-and-so. Well, you can't, right? Yeah. So what would you say one of the biggest mistakes or the biggest mistake that people make in a disaster is based on your experience, Patrick? They try to stay calm. 
I tell people, I don't want you calm. Don't ever be calm. Don't ever, ever be calm in a disaster. First of all, that's unrealistic. It's unrealistic to say to somebody, if there's somebody, for example, let's say you're in a mass shooting incident. I'm kidding you not. I saw an active shooter plan, which actually said this. If you hear gunfire down the hallway, first thing you need to do is stay calm. I say, why in the world? Nobody is going to be calm in that situation. I'm an experienced disaster plan. I've, I've worked on an ambulance in some very dangerous places where I heard gunfire. And nobody, nobody is going to be calm. What I tell people is, is I want you to be focused. That's yeah. what I want you to be. I want you to have a focus. And, a and in martial arts, that's one of the things that we uh, really do. In fact, one of the things that when I was a young martial artist that I distinctly remember is that before at the beginning of our workouts, and at the end of our workouts, we used to meditate. The, the, the sensei or the instructor in the beginning, he would have us meditate for about one minute in the beginning and the end. And I used to ask him, I remember being 12, 13 years old. I remember asking him, sensei, why do we do this? He said, because I need you to forget everything that you're going on throughout your day. I'll forget what's going on at school, at home, anything else, your friends, whatever you're dealing with. And I need you here. And that's what I tell people is your biggest mistake. If you're trying to force yourself to be calm, what will happen is that you will panic. That's what ends up happening. And in EMS, I used to tell, tell this to people I was work when I would see people who are severely injured and, and they, and they would try to be calm and force themselves to be calm. I would say, no, 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 don't be calm. I want you to focus on something in the room. And I just want you to look at that and focus on that. Let me do the work. I'm at work here. Mm-hmm. You just focus on that light up there, or you focus on that thing over there. Let me do this. And that's what I find works best. But, what, but, you, but when people try to fight that calmness, they try to say, I'm going to try to do that. That's why, as you can see, that my shirt is actually blue um, and my company's colors are blue. They're not red for this Common very color. reason. Right. It's a, it's a color of focus, of being in a particular place at a particular time and in martial arts. And I'm sure that the you who's experienced in multiple martial arts, you understand this too. When you get to a point of mental focus and discipline, you your your uh, performance exponentially increases. You are so much better because in martial arts, you have to make instantaneous decisions. You have to mm-hmm. react to how an opponent is sparring with you, meaning when you're shot, you know, when you're, uh, you know, when you're uh, practice fighting with people in the dojos, it's something that becomes becomes really important. And that's we what have I tell the word uh, around our school. We have all bunch of placards with words around the wall. And one of them is focus, you know, you discipline, fortitude, courage, respect. We have them all these words and others around the, the school because it, it reminds the students about that. And what I do is with my students, like before we do their, when I have them do their techniques or their katas, I'll tell them, sit there, close your eyes and do it in your head first and focus on it and then get up and do it. And undoubtedly, when they get up and do it, they do it better than yes. they did the last time. Or, you know, if I have them do it and I say, go down, sit and do it five times in your head and come back and do it again. And it's like night and day because they, if they've done it and I can tell, I'm like, you didn't do it. Well, do it again. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, you right. Tell. So uh, very interesting because there's a lot of analogies we can make there. So. Uh, we worry too about in a disaster where we've got to, you know, we got to bug out, we got to bug out bad. We got to deal with something. We need to grab our stuff and go. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by that because it's like, I don't want to leave the precious pictures behind because it's going to be flooding. I don't want to leave this behind. I don't want to leave that behind. And really you can't bring everything with you. So what should people take in an evacuation as a bare minimum? I would say. I want people to think of, there's five categories of things that I want you to take. You need to take your pets, 
You need to take your pharmacy, so your medications and things, right? You need to take papers, so things like driver's licenses and that kind of thing. And then what we call personal needs. I actually kind of attach professional needs. So I put personal and professional because, for example, I I work at home. I'm not leaving without my work laptop, (laughs) right? Right, So I'm going to take that with me. So personal items that are important to you. And then priceless items, which are things we all know about, right? Which are photographs or keepsakes or things that we cannot live without. And those are all the things that I tell people, if you focus on those five categories, then you'll never really go wrong. Um, one of the, one of the um, admonitions that I tell to all my clients is whenever you have a driver's license that expires or a passport that expires, great. Put that in your disaster bag because one of the biggest problems we see in disaster after disaster after disaster is people who do not have identification. And if you don't have identification, it doesn't matter who you are. They will not give you um, the uh, financial aid that you need. It's very difficult to get the kind of long-term disaster assistance. You can get some immediate life-saving assistance, but long-term assistance is next to impossible to get. Insurance and getting papers driver's licenses in disaster right? is huge. Insurance I'm papers sorry? are huge. All your insurance, insurance papers, papers loan, loan documents for those car titles. I have all of that stuff in a fireproof safe in the bedroom. And it's a, no with a handle on it so I can grab it and go. And it's got all the essentials in it. Birth certificates, social security numbers, expired and current passports, right? right. All of that stuff. And, and doc, copies of documents. And what people think like, oh, my God, I don't have the room for all that stuff. Great. You know what you do? You take all those documents, you digitize them, and you put them on a little thumb drive. And you put that in the safe. And so now you've got all of that. So now is all you need is access to a computer and you have copies of all your documents. Maybe they're not the originals, but you got copies of everything. So there's different things that you can do depending on situations. Oh, no doubt. And I I tell people that you should always have a primary and a backup. So always Mm -hmm. have a hard copy of things, but the digital copy is, can be incredibly valuable for you too. And I think a lot of people don't realize this. If you have a passport that goes a long way because it really takes the place of having a birth certificate or social security card, because those things are verified when you get, get a passport. Right. So if you have an expired passport, those things are incredibly valuable. Actually, uh, wherever I travel around the country, around the world, doesn't matter where I go. I always have my passport on me, no matter what, because if my driver's license gets stolen or lost, I always have my passport on me, no mm-hmm. ma- ma- matter what. And Pete, I'm going to challenge you on something. I want to challenge you on sure. one thing. Sure. I want you to change. I want you to change the way that you call your bug out bags. I want you to take that out of your lexicon entirely. It's no longer called a bug out bag Uh-oh. because bug out bag, right? Because the word bug out means to do what? It means to go crazy, right? So that's actually what it means. As a, yeah, as wa- a term, sure. Right, exactly. And I tell people all the time, take that out and I want you to call call it um, your emergency response kit or your emergency response backpack, right? And then it gives it an officialness to it. Mm-hmm. But I, and I was, and I'm just sort of quietly digesting with you about That's it because funny. it's something where I want people to get out of their heads that the dichotomy is, is for calm. And I, and I, I tell, tell people with the, with those bags, if you think of it as your toolkit, in a disaster, then it is something that you will visualize and see, this is like something I, I would use if I were going to work, is if I were going to work, I would take my 
tools with me, whether it's my mm-hmm. laptop or my hardcover tools or whatever they happen to be. So that's the one thing I would definitely challenge you on. I do it all the time with all kinds of audiences. And I thought I would share that with you as well on your um, on your 60th um, episode here. <laughs> well, I, there's one I came across not that long ago, which is uh, is a different name, and it's called an inch bag. Have you heard of this? I have. I have. Okay, I tell people inch bags. Coming fine. home. That's an I'm not coming home bag. <laughs> so there's, a, there's all, yeah, different names for it. But, you know, that obviously would encompass stuff where you, I'm not coming home, man. I got to grab everything and anything. So, yeah, different uh, different names for it. But, yeah, I, I understand why, you know, bug out people would be like, oh, my God, I got to bug out. I'm bugging out already. I got to bug out with the bug out. You know, <laughs> so, you know it's funny, though, but it's true. It, it's absolutely true. You know, you try to make every little detail of a disaster positive and give it that positive spin. Whereas I can definitely see that's one of those areas where a lot of people don't think about it. They think I got to get my bug out bag because I'm bugging out. Oh my God. Right. That's in the back of their head where it's like, I got to get my emergency response kit. You know, it's a little bit more sane, more professional. Right. Right. And on top of it is it's not even, I mean, I mean, the, the positivity is great. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't like all the doom and gloom stuff. I think there's way too much, much of that going on, but I, I think of it as like something that's really empowering for people too. Mm-hmm. I, cause I, I, cause my entire message I tell people is there's no disaster you can't handle, whether it's an interpersonal disaster, like losing your job or losing the internet, you know, because you want to see the last uh, game of Thrones, every single disaster you can handle no matter what. And so even you're absolutely right. It's the little things that I chip away at with, with my clients and I smooth it out. So I say, we've got a single empowerment message for you. So that's something I think uh, people could definitely use. Yeah, absolutely. So I got a few other things we want to talk about, but what I want to do is uh, for those people that are watching on um, the YouTube channel, I'm sharing my screen right now and I'm bringing up your website. You should be able to see that, right, bud? I can see it. See it? Okay. See so, um, so this is a uh, Hytropy's website. I went over this today. I was taking a look through it. You got a lot of great information here, uh, sure. but essentially uh, you've got uh, different disaster plans that you have where people can select the industry that they're in, the type of plan they're looking for, the, yes. uh, the threat plans, emergency supplies, et cetera. And so you're yes. kind of like, you're giving them a whole bunch of really good information here. So I was playing around with this. And if you go to the disaster plan, you can actually pick your industry. So yep, different. Uh, scroll to the very top. Yeah, scroll that? to the very top. Scroll to the very top. Mm-hmm. All right. So go ahead and put and scroll over the word services. Yep. All right. Uh, you see where it says RV parks? This should be one that's if I'm looking yep. at it. Okay, there's RV parks, campgrounds, and glamping. Why don't we click that one? Okay. So see that? And then this is the what we do. And as a matter of fact, our emergency equipment line is coming out in April. So we're really excited about it. April sixth. Um, We're doing something that no one has ever done before with emergency equipment in in the safety world. Instead of buying emergency equipment, you can rent it. So we will maintain the disaster equipment for you indefinitely. So no more, um, you know, items are expiring. No more uh, worried about dusty disaster stuff or supplies or whatever happened, all that. We maintain that for everybody. So we really uh, take that to heart because we believe that, uh, disaster preparedness is more than just plans. It's more than just equipment. It's about our, it's really an entire, it's an entire solution. So it's, it's really important that people kind of see it that way. And this is one of the the best lines that we have. So, um, we work, so my with, only, uh, we work a lot of RV parks. Go ahead. My only question on that would be, so sure. if I had the equipment, how does it get to me in the middle of a disaster? 
Well, they rent them from us beforehand. And so what we do is, is that oh, so when you see paying, something's you know, maybe coming. Right, 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 right. Or even even beforehand, um, I rent a lot. I know that we're going to rent a lot of equipment. We have a lot of pre-orders already um, from businesses who say, you know, I would love to buy a bunch of backpacks for my man management team, but it's too expensive to buy them. I go, why buy them? I'll, I'll, I will rent them to you at a fraction of the cost. And then that's something that they can actually have for them themselves. They'll have a plan. They'll have equipment. And the equipment that we use will actually fit the disaster plans that we have written for them. So we are we are hyper focused on that. So they're um, totally customized for the client. That's perfect. Totally customized for for them because we want people to have the right equipment. I don't want people to just buy things off the shelf. That generally is you you know how it is, Pete. No one ever opens it. Nobody ever thinks about it. So we want to give them something that that they're they're going to use. So um, that's that's something that we're very excited about. So it'll be coming out, and that'll be available on the site starting on April April sixth. That's awesome. Yeah, I was looking through this. You have a lot of a lot of good stuff here. I mean, you got you have uh, monthly services. So you can keep disaster recovery plans up to date for people and the training and uh, uh, your disaster app. I downloaded it when I saw it. I'm like, ah, I have to download and check it out. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Disaster Hawk uh, yes. mobile app is available on uh, the uh, Apple iOS as well as Android. So that's uh, that's something cool people can check out as well. Um, having a chance to go through it. Maybe tell us about that for uh, for a minute. What's the Disaster Hawk all about? Disaster Hawk is the very first app anywhere in the world. It's like a disaster preparedness. It's like a disaster planning suppository. So we collect disaster plans from all over the world and then employees can follow their um, employer's disaster plan right in the app. They can literally follow it. And then they will literally have the disaster plan right on their phone. And also families, small businesses for the very first time ever People can create a custom disaster plan for themselves, their families, their pets. They can, they'll have everything I was just talking about with the five P's, everything in it. And you can complete disaster plans in as short as 90 seconds instead of 90 minutes. It just asks you a series of questions. It helps to fill it in for you. It gives them a cut, gives you a custom plan and gives you access to all kinds of plans. And we just, we just recently launched it. So right now we're just kind of in a collection phase. We're putting so many things together. Um, but but we're very excited about it. We're, we do or do we do a lot in the uh, in the modular industry, for example, with like mobile home parks, where mm-hmm. mobile home parks have a disaster plan, and the residents, you know, no one's going to keep a written disaster plan with them. Nobody's going to do that. So we say no problem. Just follow it directly in the app, and then yeah, that's perfect. where they'll be able to access it. I yeah. know some people that own a bunch of mobile home parks. I'm going to have to talk to them about absolutely. It. And, and I downloaded so the put app, their plans so, right on the app. Yeah, I'll have to look at the app and uh, I'll have to go through it because you say you just rolled it out. I'll have to uh, go through it and uh, let you know what I think of it because I'm sure it's, I mean, if it's got half the stuff you got on your website, I know it's going to be great. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we've got the uh, deal of the day. There was no deal of the day today, though. I was bummed. Not <laughs> yet. No, not today. But, not today. Uh, but we, right do, we do them usually the latter half of the week. Oh, there you go. There, hint, hint, people. <laughs> It would depend on when you're listening to this. Uh, and then, of course, the about session section where you talk about, you know, who the company is and who you are and people can learn all about you, Patrick, and, you know, your different certifications and why you're qualified to do this. There's your other photo here. When I looked at it, I'm like, wait, is this the same guy? Like, I'm looking back <laughs> at you, I'm like, you? And like, wait, who's that? It was pretty funny because as we, we mentioned right before the show, I mean, I have the same kind of thing where I got two looks for myself on my, my one website there, um, back to back with myself. Um, but yes, lots of, you know, impressive credentials, a lot of experience. Um, I was, I was very, uh, 
I saw that you uh, you were the youngest person and the first uh, business owner ever selected to the National Private Sector Representative to FEMA, which yes. I thought was pretty incredible because, I mean, FEMA's that's, you know, they're the ones that are dealing with all kinds of major disasters. So being able to, to interact directly with FEMA must have been amazing. It was. It was an incredible three months. I spent time there um, helping to develop a small business framework, the first one at the, the federal level. And as a matter of fact, um, we've recently partnered. Um, we're partnering uh, with uh, the UN and with some other organizations to actually develop out um, some brand new kinds of programs um, for actually creating a program where small business can direct, directly liaise with emergency man management agencies throughout the country. So we are wow. very excited about it. And um, we think that it's going to be an opportunity for the very first time for small businesses to actually have that kind of interface time with emergency management that would otherwise be only reserved for big companies. No, that's fantastic because you need a lifeline when there's a disaster. And if you're, you're able to give them a direct lifeline to the help, and those people can manage that. They're going to, the, the response time is going to be decreased. They're going to have a much bigger, uh, better uh, handle on the situation in terms of scope and size when they're dealing directly much more quickly. So that's fantastic because it, it cuts down on that time in a big way for all these different companies. I got them up on the screen now. If people are watching on uh, on YouTube. They can see you know you know from agriculture to amusement, you know healthcare, cleaning companies, entertainment, fitness companies, you know professional services. Yeah, I do. Uh, and I churches. even do golf courses. Yeah, all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, where's the golf courses? <laughs> I wonder where the. I don't even know. I'm sure it's. In, I'm sure it's maybe an entertainment. I think it's entertainment venues oh, and fitness sports. Of- but we do. We do a lot of these companies. We do a lot of different fun fun kinds of businesses. They do lots of different kinds of stuff. So yeah, these are really interesting. We do actually with this one with these personal care co- companies. I've done things like day spas. Um, I've done lots of different kinds of uh, resorts. I had no idea that avocado massages, I didn't even know there was such a thing, (laughs) but they have them clearly. So when I was at a resort and one time I charged them a little less and I said, if you just give, give me one of those so I could actually try it out, I'll charge you a lot less. And I got to try it out. So there we have it. Didn't even um, know they existed. That's pretty funny. I didn't, I didn't either, but you know, I've just discovered that the small businesses in this, in this country and around the world are just doing fabulous things and we're doing Mm -hmm. everything we can to, to keep up with them. We want them to have the best quality disaster plans imaginable. So that's why we really focus on them. And that's why I focused my career on working with small businesses. Oh, that's fantastic. Because I mean, you can click on these plans, you can, you know, there's different levels of support you can get with the different levels, you know, bronze, silver, gold, obviously more things come with it. You'll have to, our listeners will have to go check that out, see what each entails, um, get them to go to your site. Hey, break glass in emergency. I like this. Oh, what happens if I click and break the glass? Ah! Oh yeah. <laughs> we have uh, we have threat plans in there, um, which we, which we are, um, we are actually putting those in there for emergency equipment. Cause that's actually the way we call oh, the equipment before. side. Great. Great. Right. Exactly. So we put that under that and people love that because it's like having your own little you like, you know, because you see those in office buildings all the time. People like, sure. oh, you can break glass. And there it is. So and th- th- uh, we've, we've all really thought about breaking it one time or another, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> what would that, that's very true. Very, very true. <laughs> nice. All right. I'm going to stop the share here. We'll go back. So definitely uh, go check it out. The website is reversedisaster.com. And that is what uh, the... Uh, that your company Hytropy does, right? It reverses that, reverses the disaster so that you can get back to business and do, uh, you know, and get back to what you need to do. So cool. Disaster Hawk and, and the website got lots of great information. So 
when you know we we talked about FEMA in, in a minute ago and how small businesses can you know hopefully now be able to through the service that you're you're creating talk directly to where the help is right in FEMA so what should people expect from the federal government because i think a lot of people expect too much they don't want to take that personal responsibility of you know what can i do you know Unfortunately, a lot of people think, well, the government will just come help me. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to prepare. Why do I need to know? They'll, if something happens, they'll just come send me water in a truck. And you know, it, I think those people need, they need a wake-up call because there's a really good possibility that it's not going to come or it's going to come late. And when you need it the most, you're going to be on your own. And so you have to take that personal responsibility. So what should people expect from the government uh, in a disaster recovery situation? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There you go. Nothing. Is I tell people, if you expect nothing, then if they give you something, then you're like, wow, that was just something that was ideal. You know, uh, when I was, uh, what I tell people is I want you to treat the government like ice cream because everybody thinks of ice cream and they think all that. And I say, ice cream is nice, but not necessary. So if you have it, great. It adds to the meal at the end. But if you don't have them, that's okay because I really want people to feel self-reliant. And if you rely so much on what the government is doing on your behalf or you expect them to do things for you, you will be bitterly disappointed. And I'm not saying that FEMA does a bad job or that people um, or that the government can't do anything for you because there are things that the government does very well. And in fact, in disasters with vulnerable populations, the government works very, very hard to try to give people those needed services. And to some lesser extent, they're successful. Sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. But when people rely on the government to do everything for them, I've actually been in situations before where people ask the government to file their insurance claim on their behalf. They've asked the government to um, evacuate them and then go back and get their pets and bring them to them. And they say, we can't do that as much yeah. as we would like to. That's just simply impossible. That's right. And these are the kinds of expectations that can become very, very difficult. And so that's why when I work with them and when I work with businesses and when I work with individuals, I say, I want you to, to work with the government and determine what is the right things that you need, but don't expect or demand things because you may not be the highest priority. In fact, in some cases, you may be one of the last priorities, not because they don't want to or not because they don't care. It's just you have to realize they have to deal with work with hospitals and getting first responders back, ensuring they have enough ambulances, enough school buses, taking care of the people who are disabled, people who are at nursing homes. They are all ahead of small businesses because I know small business owners mm -hmm. that say they should be opening my restaurant. And they say well, they can't. They mm -hmm. cannot do that. Some emergency management agencies don't even have a full-time emergency manager. Sometimes it's just like, it's like the fire chief, who's also the police chief, who's also yeah. the head of emergency preparedness. Gets and called when there's a person, fire or something, right? Right, exactly. And they can't do everything for you. Not Again, not because they don't want to. It's just because their resources are extremely limited. So the more self-reliant and more self-empowered you are, the more successful you will be in the long run. No, I, I like your answer. Nothing. Because anything is a bonus that you do get. If you don't rely on anybody but yourself, your company, your employees, your plan, your resources, th those that you can rely upon that you know, your family, whoever, that's who you've got to focus on and, and figure out how you can survive whatever happens to be coming down the road. Because you know it, it could be a lot of different things, You know, especially 
in terms of natural disasters where you live in the country or in the world. You know, you live, you know, out west, you got to worry about fires and earthquakes and, you know, live in the central part of the company. You might have our country you may need to worry about snowstorms and, you know, being stranded somewhere, you know, in your car or, you know, if a snow load breaks a roof, you know, what do you do? So they're, they're different depending on where you live. You know, it could be a flood, could be a fire, could be tornado, you know, it could be snow, it could be hail, it could be, it could be anything from Mother Nature, because God knows she can sometimes be a you know what and uh, is relentless. And Mother Nature, you know, you can't stop her when she wants something to happen, you know, and, and there are other disasters we have to worry about too. Like, you know, we talked briefly about, you know, cyber attacks. There's so only there's so many things that you can do there, but you got to prepare. You can't, you know, call somebody and be like, you know, what do we do? You better know what you do ahead of time. Otherwise, you're going to be picking up the pieces and hopefully you're still in business when everything blows over. That's absolutely right. And cyber attacks are the exact same way, which is I think a lot of businesses take the attitude of, well, the FBI will take care of it or some other outside agency or I'll, I'll take my stuff to Best Buy. And Best Buy, I've literally had it where people had a cyber <laughs> attack and they brought their laptops to Best Buy mm-hmm. <laughs> and insane. they'd open it up. And there was a ransomware block. They're literally, I've never seen it. I, I'd never seen that before, but somebody literally put it up and there was a ransomware block. And we said, you know, it's going to be kind of hard at this point. You know, it happens at healthcare facilities. Oh yeah. And now with so I've many people working at home. I've dealt with it. Say again? Unfortunately. I've dealt with it with clients, you know, thank God, not much. And, but you know, that's why you got to have everything backed up in multiple places and use offsite storage and do the things that you can ahead of time. So if something happens, all right, well, I had everything backed up. You wipe it, you reinstall, you download your data, you're back in business quickly. If you don't have that capability and you're not testing it periodically to ensure that it works, right. don't be surprised when you need it and it doesn't. That's absolutely right. And and if you're trying to do it, and that applies to anything, it isn't mm-hmm. just, just issues with cyber, it's regarding- exactly. I was just going to say that, it applies to anything. Exactly. Mercy equipment plans. It's like in the martial arts, you know, you, you know, you're doing a punch over and over again. And people say, well, why do you do it that? Why do we have to do it that much? And I say, because when you're in a real situation where you have to defend yourself, then it's instantaneous because the muscle memory is already there. And when I do drills for disaster plans, I make them do it over and over and over again. They go, we have to do it again. I go, yeah. Why? Because in a real incident, you're not going to get a second chance. You got to do it by instinct. It's got to happen just like that. And if I can drill that into you, the rest of the plan you can train on later on. But the instantaneous things, the things that will save lives, protect property and stabilize the incident, those are things you've got to do immediately. And those are the kinds of things that have to be instinct, just like in martial arts when you're first caught off guard because you know it isn't like you're in the dojo where you've stretched and you've warmed up (laughs) and you've meditated you're in you have your gi on everything's all ready to go and now it's like okay i've got my sparring gear on in real life when you're in a real altercation with someone when you have a belligerent individual you're you may be caught off guard and you and as a martial artist and as somebody who um would have to react instantly those moments the repetition becomes so important because then that is what, what will protect you. And that's the tools and weapons you will rely on in a real incident, just like in a real disaster. Yeah. That's one reason why the military drills so much, because they make sure that the soldiers are trained for combat and they are trained to be instinctual. And you hear it all the time from soldiers in battle. Like, why did you do that? My training, right. you know, and if, and if you haven't had that sort of experience either in the military or in the martial arts or in some other uh, field 
where that sort of rote over and over and over training is required, you're, you're not going to be familiar with it. And like, like you said a minute ago, Patrick, you know, people saying, why do I have to do this again? Because you didn't get it yet. You're not instinctual. You're still thinking too much. You're still not reacting quickly enough. You need to do mm-hmm. this again. Reset, go, <laughs> right? And, right. And, and they yeah. probably are like, man, this guy's a pain. Why do we have to do this again, right? But you're doing it so that when the time comes and they have to execute, in the back of their mind, they can be going, thanks, Patrick. You know, you know, yes. at the time, they won't appreciate it. But when the time <laughs> comes, they sure as heck will, right? And that's, and that's what happens in any sort of training situation. When it, when it becomes real and the training kicks in and things happen as a result of training and instinct, you can perform and you take the emotion out of it. You take the, the, um, the unknowns out of it. And, and it makes things so much easier in anything that we drill. And so you have to drill over and over and over, and you have to be prepared. You've got to have your plan, and you got to know who, what, when, where, why, and how it's going to be executed. So and and go over it all. You know, you can't like have a plan and then not look at it till the day comes when you got to use it. You better have it out. You know, quarterly, maybe you know, half every every six months at the least. I mean, you 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 do a lot more of, of the planning side. What do you recommend to your clients every quarter? Run through it every six months, every month. I run them through my clients. It really depends on the industry because some industries have really heavy turnover. So when I work with my oh, hotel okay. clients, um, they have uh, obviously, and uh, I don't think a lot of people realize hospitality is the only industry in America where there is an over 100% turnover rate annual on annual. So wow. it's about 110% to 120% turnover. So that's unbelievable. That, so we run drills much more often there. Sure, than we would do in other industries. But it doesn't mean you have to run it. I don't want people to think it feels like you have to run an entire drill where the entire building is shut down. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. There are ways to compartmentalize them. Other industries like healthcare, where you have to have much larger drills, I do those once a year. So myself or, or, or one of my exercisers will actually go out and they'll actually put up a drill, hurricane, tornado, mass shooting, whatever, and they'll actually run the drill directly in the facility. Yeah. And that's what really helps because the point is, is to make make sure that we fit the mold of the industry. And because we don't want the industry to have to to fold, to, to mold into us. I mean, as Bruce Lee, I mean, there seems to be a resurgent of interest in Bruce Lee, who's (laughs) probably the most famous martial artist of all time. And one thing he used to say is he used to say, you know, be like water, which means you down, that means that you have to fit what the instances and the and the types of situations you are going into and you do not or should not ever expect it to mold to you. Right. Exactly. And a good analogy. It's funny, a lot of a lot of different martial arts analogies between the two of us because we both, you know, have studied and, and trained. And and as I said, it comes down to that that preparation, that training, that instinctual response. It is very similar. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, myself being someone who is, you know, is in both worlds. I'm in the the digital world and I'm on the physical world and I teach people how to stay safe in both of those. And so as the safety sensei, (laughs) uh, as as I say, um, I'm able to do that. And I think the reason why, you know, years ago when I, when I kind of light bulb went off, I'm like, wait a minute, man, I'm doing all of this stuff online where I'm keeping people safe and I'm securing accounts and I'm doing all of that stuff and protecting their businesses. And then 
three days a week, four days a week, I'm training people how to stay safe and protect themselves in the physical world. I'm like, I'm doing both. I'm like, this is pretty weird. And it was like something kind of clicked. And, and so that's the path that I shifted myself down is being able to do that and, and train businesses on how to have the right mindset and how to recover from disasters and how to deal with workplace violence and, and all of these things, because, and, and cyber attack, obviously, which is the biggest one now, because we're, we're worried about that, I think more than anything else. And businesses need to realize if you're attacked once, <laughs> don't rest on your laurels. It's going to happen again. It's probably going to happen again. It's probably going to happen again. So you've got to understand that and don't be complacent and put your head in the sand and say, I'm, I'm too small of a company or who would be interested in my industry? It doesn't matter. The smaller industry, the smaller companies are more vulnerable because they don't have the resources to create and purchase right. all kinds of high-end security technologies and equipment. So you better right. be more vigilant in, in how you protect those assets of your company and what you know, you need to do to ensure that you can still produce whatever product or service your company provides, you know, as quickly as possible in the in the face of a problem. And it could come from man, it could come from nature. And uh, but the, the bottom line is the same, and which is how do you, you know, have that plan and you follow the plan and you recover from it. So we're Absolutely. cranking through, man. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Patrick. We're coming to the end of the show, but, you know, it goes so quickly. And I always like to ask my guests, you know, do you have any last thoughts that you would like to leave the audience with? I leave, I'd like to, to tell everyone this. You have two choices in any disaster. Either you can control the disaster or the disaster can control you. Those are the choices. And what I want you to do is no matter what the disaster, no matter what you are facing, whether it's a natural emergency or a technological disaster, or it's a major security emergency, or it's just the internet going out during the <laughs> finale of Game of Thrones, I want you to remember it's a disaster that you can control. You just have to empower yourself correctly. Because if you do that, if you empower yourself through equipment, through planning, through smarts, and just through staying focused, just like any martial artist would, you can face any disaster, any emergency that is thrown at you. Excellent. Well said. And, uh, you know, food for thought for everybody. You know, if, uh, if you're interested in learning more about Patrick or Hytropy Disaster Management, check out his company's website, reverseddisaster.com. Uh, you also find him on social media, America's Disaster Planner. You can search for that on LinkedIn and uh, you can find Patrick and his company there as well. I'll be sure to post those links uh, the, below the uh, the episode when it, when it goes live up here. Um, any of our listeners that want free information about how to recover from a cyber attack, you can get the seven simple steps for creating a cybersecurity program for your business at my website, cyberbizplan.com. And that's free for anybody to go get and learn about that. So thanks for Patrick Hardy for being here. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Safety Talk. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to get the latest safety information and past episodes at safetytalkpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You can also watch interviews, of course, as I said, at our YouTube channel at Safety Talk Videos. Come. So until next time, everybody, Patrick, our audience, everyone, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. 
Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.